I'm glad Tim sat you down because anytime you're about to have a serious conversation, somebody says, go ahead, go ahead and sit down. We need to talk. Right? Okay. Gut response. Let's talk about sin. Is your first thought, yes! <laughs> or is it like, oh, no. Let's talk about sin. How do you know if you're sinning? What makes something a sin? This past Friday, we posted this on all of our social media accounts, and we asked people to chime in. Give us your ideas. Give us your thoughts. Give us your answers. We had one person respond. We had significantly more people respond about the Swedish fish. How do you know if you're sinning? How do you know if something is a sin? If you're watching online, go ahead and write your answers in the comment box. And you guys here live, I'm going to come back and we're going to actually get a couple of answers, all right? We don't like to talk about sin. When somebody stands up on a platform and says, let's talk about sin, people cringe, right? People start to squirm a little bit. I'm seeing it. People shift and half of you are like, no, I'm going to make eye contact. Don't look at him right now, right? Why is that? Is it because too often we've seen terrible examples of sin getting called out? Have we seen parents berating their kids for intentional or unintentional mistakes? Have we seen people in positional authority, spiritual authority, actually call people out making a spectacle of the sin? Have we seen the stranger on the street corner, okay? Picture sandwich board and bullhorn calling out sin of people that they don't know. Maybe we're uncomfortable talking about sin because there's sin in our own life that we haven't addressed yet. All right? And we're sitting here like, okay, think back to Sunday school. What were all the things they told me not to do? Okay? Don't drink. Don't smoke. Don't chew. Don't go with girls who do. Okay? Um, let me see. What else is it? Uh, did I go 36 in a 35-mile-an-hour zone? No. Was I gossiping when I was texting? I don't think so. Did my eyes linger on a billboard? No. You know, we're, we're thinking through all these different things. Like, we just don't like to talk about sin. Sin is a new S word in churches, all right? People don't like pastors to bring it up. And I think part of that is because when we do, our first response is, oh, no. What if we could change our first response to, okay, yeah, let's do that. Today, I hope to begin that shift. Before we do that, I need to ask God's help. Let's pray. Father, we are here to worship in many different forms, many different ways. We've worshiped in song, we're worshiping in community, we're worshiping in your word. Uh, I think of the first song that says, we're praying, help us to preach, right? Lord, give me the words this morning as we tackle a, uh, a big subject. Help us hear well what you want to say this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, go ahead and grab your Bibles. If you have them, if you don't, grab your phone, open it up to the app, and turn to Psalm 32. If you have Psalm 32 memorized, fantastic. We're going to be spending time in this today talking about sin. It's part of our ongoing sermon series called the Catechumenate, the basics of our faith. Um, if your group is up to speed with where we are, you've already been talking about sin for one week. If you're not, if you're a little bit behind or a little bit ahead, that's okay. We've got a, we've got a five to six week break coming where everybody will end up on the same page. So today we're talking about sin. It's one of the basics of our faith. So what is sin? 
How do you know if you're sinning? What makes something a sin? These are questions that I started with and questions I told you I was going to come back to. And I've got, we're going to start off. I've got a couple of answers from online. All right. The first one is from Connie. She says, sin is when it's all about me. There's an I in the middle of it. Connie's participating downstairs with our kids, but took time to send us that text. Okay, the Scully kids who are watching from uh, Liberty Lake with their mom, they say that sin is anything that you say or do that disobeys God. That's good. What else? What else is sin? How do you define it? How do you know you're sinning? Separation from God. Okay, that's good. I'm going to come back to that one. Apparently you guys like to talk about it just as much as our online community. <laughs> I think it's a heart condition. A heart. Where your heart is aligned to God. Okay. That's when you tend to enter A heart condition. Where, where your heart is in line or not in line. And when you're sinning, it's not in line with God. Okay. Good. Okay. Okay, you may not be able to define it, but you sure know it when you see it. Anybody else? Uh, sorry, two of you. Breach of, Breach of contract. Okay, good. And then somebody else said something in the... Ooh, I like that. I'm going to say that one later. Good job. Okay, very good job. I always grew up hearing that sin was missing the mark. Anybody hear that before? Missing the mark, right? I like that definition. It's a great word picture. The, the problem is the assumption that if somebody's missing the mark, they're actually aiming at the mark. And I know a lot of people that are blatantly living in sin that aren't aiming at God's mark, right? They're not aiming to live in God's ways. So how do we know what sin is? I mean, these are all fantastic, fantastic answers. We could, we could use some church ease and, uh, and say that sin is transgression against the law of God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 says, Everyone who sins is breaking God's law. That's kind of transgressions. For all sin is contrary to the law of God. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 7 says exactly what you said. Sin is rebellion against God. Uh, remember and never forget how angry you made the Lord your God out in the wilderness. From the day you left Egypt until now, you have been constantly rebelling against God. Now, I like what Jerry Sitzer said on the catechumenate video. He said, the heart of sin is a turning away from a relationship with God. Several of you kind of alluded to that. A turning away from a relationship to God. Patty actually said so. She was the only one who engaged on Friday, so make sure you give her a shout out. Is she upstairs? Thank you, Patty. Maybe she heard me. It was very similar to Jerry's answer. Now, this can be in any way, big or small, all right? It can be a white lie that, that breaks trust, or it can be white supremacy, which devalues humanity made in God's image. Big or small, anything in between, it's sin. Ah, Psalm 32, I've had you open there, was written by King David. Most scholars agree on that. Now, most scholars also agree they don't know what he was going through in life when he wrote this psalm. Some say, well, it's evident he was going through the little extracurricular activities with Bathsheba, but there's enough scholarship that says, well, we don't know that for sure. What we do know in this psalm, we do know that David doesn't shy away from talking about sin. 
David doesn't squirm. He doesn't shift. He doesn't drop his eyes. In fact, he frames the discussion in a way that I'm hoping to shift us to. A discussion of, of sin being about joy, about release, about healing. Psalm 32, verse 1 and 2 from the English Standard Version reads like this. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Blessed is thee. Where have we heard this before? Who else talks like that in Scripture? Jesus. Always a correct answer. I want to give you an easy one. Yes, Jesus talks like this in Scripture. We did the Beatitudes as our corporate confession this morning. Blessed is, happy is the person, fortunate is the person, prosperous, favored by God. What joy fills the person. That's how the New Living actually reads these verses. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Now, when I first read these verses in multiple different translations, I thought, huh, David's struggling to find the right word to talk about sin. Because he's using multiple different words here, right? If you listen just in those two different translations, there's disobedience, there's record, there's transgression, there's iniquity, there is the S word, there is sin. And I thought, well, maybe David struggles with it because we struggle with it. I mean, how often do you just hear somebody flat out say, I sinned? Not very often, right? It's more like, well, I've missed the mark. Or, well, I've done something wrong. Well, I, I did something that doesn't bring a smile to God's face. You've heard me say that a lot of times, right? I've erred. I've messed up. We don't very often hear somebody just come out right and say, I've sinned, do we? Well, so initially I thought, well, maybe David's struggling to find the right word. Maybe he doesn't want to say the S word. But no, he's not struggling. He's actually making a point here. He's making a point that it doesn't matter what it is. Sin is sin. In the Hebrew, the word transgression means a rebellion or a revolt against individuals, against God, or against nations. It's a, it's a strong word. Now, the word iniquity means perversity, depravity, or fault. There's some umph in that word, too. Now, the word sin technically means an offense. It seems like a little less potent of a word. I mean, I, I, could, I could be offended by Tommy's socks. I don't know if you're wearing socks, Tommy, and I probably wouldn't be offended by them. You know, but maybe God is offended by, by some of this. Seems like less of a strong word, but in all reality, I think what David is doing is making the point that no matter what it is, the heart condition, the, the transgression, the breach of contract, any of it, sin is sin is sin is sin is sin. And it leans you away from your relationship with God. Now, as we're sitting here, Maybe you're thinking, Pastor, I thought we were going to like shift to joy and, and healing and all that. This kind, of gets us, this kind of gets us down. Well, it shouldn't, because you look at the tone that David sets right off the bat. These two verses, just right out of the gate. What joy for those. Yes, what joy who's, for those whose record has been cleared. I mean, David's not squirming. He's like, hey, I want to talk about this. Gather around. I want to talk about it now. And why does he want people to know this? Because I think he has felt what it's like to ignore his sin. 
He has felt what it's like to not address his sin, to not be forgiven, to not have his sin covered. And I say that because of the next couple of verses. Verse 3 and 4 in the New Living. It says, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Ah, here's another translation. Same two verses, verse 3 and 4. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, though my groaning, oh, through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was upon me. My strength dried up as by the heat of summer. If you've been in Spokane over the last couple of weeks, you have felt this, right? You know what he's talking about. This heat wave we've been in the middle of, it's not fun. That's a nice way to say it. It inhales vehemently. That's still nice, but it makes more of a point. All right, I was talking to John Spots on Monday. I can share this story because he's not here. Actually, I asked him if I could share it. He said, that's fine. Was talking to him about this heat wave. And see, he's a, I like how he says this. He's a doctor of motor vehicles. He's a mechanic. So he's in a shop, a concrete shop all day long. Sun's beating down on the tin walls of the, of the shop. He's under the hood of this hot engine. And he's just dripping profusely. And he tells me he's drinking all day, like, you know, like the aquifer is going to dry up, like the, like the creek is going to dry up. He's just drinking. And when he gets home, you know what he feels like? I quote, I don't want to do nothing. He says, it's so hot. I don't want to do nothing. And if you know John Spots, you don't hear him say that very often because he does not stop doing We know what it feels like to have our our strength sapped. And that's what King David is saying. It felt like when he didn't confess his sins. Now, I love the irony in verse 3 from the English Standard Version. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. When I tried not to say anything, all sorts of sound came out. My bones groaned, my body wasted away, things were failing, things were falling apart. This is not metaphorical. He's not saying this is what it feels like up here. He's talking about literal, physical falling apart. Let's just assume something. Let's assume that sin leads to guilt. Is that a safe assumption? Especially for believers, all right? When we sin, it it can lead to guilt. Now, according to WebMD.com, which is everybody's source for right medical diagnoses. If Dr. Frank was here, he would agree with me. (laughs) Just kidding, Dr. Frank. It was on WebMD.com, and it says, the crushing sense of guilt that so many of us feel isn't just bad for the psyche. It's bad for our physical health. Now, this was eye-opening. When I started doing a little bit more research, trying to find some trusted medical sites and journals, and I learned that guilt can lead to stress. Stress can lead to different chemicals being released, specifically cortisol. Okay, that's the, the chemical that's released in the fight or flight moment of your life. When you have increased release of cortisol, you get things like headaches, backaches, ulcers. All right, those are just the small things. You get increased cortisol releasing and you get other things like high blood pressure, 
If it keeps going on and on, there's potentially diabetes. And it gets even worse, all right? Guilt can lead to things like cardiovascular disease, like gastrointestinal disorders. Guilt can have negative impacts on our immune system. When David says, my body was falling apart, I think he was serious, all right? It wasn't just like, oh, I feel this up here. He's like, no, I feel this all over. It's got a tangible effect on me. When I refuse to confess my sin, my body wasted away. And I groaned all day long. But eventually, David had enough. So what did he do? Yeah, he threw in the towel. Beginning of verse 5. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. Stop trying to hide my guilt. I think this phrase is the key phrase in this passage. All right, you'll see why. Think back to your Sunday school days. For some of you, this is longer than for others. Okay, or think back to when you read the Bible cover to cover or your vast, just overarching knowledge of this. When is the first time in Scripture you see people trying to hide? Yeah, you guys are chuckling. Oh, just wait, it gets better. Now say that again. You said it right. The garden, right. The garden of Eden. Exactly right. Adam and Eve sinned. Right? They sinned. They turned away from their relationship to God. They broke something. He told them not to do. They did. And the next time they heard God strolling around the garden, they hid. Why? It's because they were afraid. They were afraid of what? That God was going to call sin, sin? They were afraid because they were, you can say it out loud, the kids are downstairs. Naked! Some of y'all are chuckling like any time that word is said, it's funny. They were afraid because they were naked. Their sin caused them to sense their nakedness. This is, nakedness is one of those times in life where you are at your most vulnerable state. All right, it's, it's one of those times where you've got nothing to hide behind, nothing to conceal yourself with. King David is saying in here, I have finally had enough. My body was wasting away, so I stepped out from behind where I was hiding and said, Lord, this is me. In all of my non-glory, this is me. Finally, I confessed my sins And I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion against God. Stepping out from his hiding place, he's saying, God, this is my sin. This is my transgression. This is my iniquity. If the psalm stopped here, if there was nothing else written, if this feeling of uncomfortable, this feeling of vulnerability was where the psalm stopped, most of us would never want to come back to church again. Okay? And if this is your first time, they're like, pastor says naked. And then the psalm stops. If it stopped there. But it doesn't. It doesn't stop there. This is where we get to the joy, to the release, to the freedom. Verse 5 says this. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. 
That's powerful. All my guilt. I confess, you forgave, boom, instantly, just like that. The Apostle John would say something about 1,500 years later, very similarly in 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sins to the Lord, he's faithful and just to forgive them. David said, I confessed. And I actually love verse 5 in the English Standard because it, it, it kind of paints this great picture. I acknowledged my sins to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I mean, can you picture him stepping out from behind the bush? I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my heart. I did not cover. This takes us right back to Psalm 32, verse 1 in the, in the New Living, which I think is up there. Maybe not. Blessed is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Here's what's cool, okay? In the Hebrew, the word covered means covered. That's cool, okay? It also means protected. And this is the part that should give you, like, shivers. It means clothed. It means clothed. My sin has been clothed. David's talking about hiding from our sin. This, this sends us back to the Garden of Eden where they're afraid because of their nakedness. And David is saying, my sins, when I confess them, you clothed me. You covered me. You protected me. And when David experiences this, he can't keep it to himself. I mean, I picture him just tearing around the town, the market, you know, everywhere. Like, guys, come here. You got to hear this. This is tangible. There's this release. There's this relief. I mean, he says in verse 6, he says, Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there's still time, that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. I mean, King David is telling people, you guys feel the pressure? Do you feel the weight? Do you feel like, like everything's crashing around you? In Psalm 42, verse 7, David says, Deep calls to deep at the sounds of your waterfalls. All your breakers, all your waves have gone over me. And, and, and David's saying that deep is calling for confession. And when you get that confession, what happens? Forgiveness. Protection. Covering. Clothing. David's like, let's talk about sin. Yes! There's joy in there. And he just keeps sticking with the same thing that has echoes to the garden in verse 7. You are my hiding place. <laughs> you protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. I mean, David's saying my sin had caused me to hide, but when I confessed, you became my hiding place. You clothed me. How's that for blessed is the one? These next two verses, scholars will argue about who's actually saying it. Some say it's David saying it. Some say it's God saying it. The New Living reads as if it's God saying it to David. And so it says in verse 8 and 9, The Lord says, I will guide you along the best path for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or a mule that needs a bit and a bridle to keep it under control. God saying, hey, you guys felt the, the pain of sin and keeping silent. But now you've experienced the joy of my forgiveness. Let me keep guiding. You know, if, if, if sin is a separation from us with our relationship with God, just picture you elbow to elbow with God, right? Walking along and then you sin and 
it gets a little looser, a little looser and looser. And, and in verse 8 and 9, God's saying, no, 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 let me guide you. Let me keep walking with you. Let me keep protecting you. Let me keep covering you. Because when you don't, we get to verse 10, the first half of it says, many sorrows come to the wicked. And God doesn't want us to experience that. He doesn't want us to hurt like is mentioned in verse 3 and 4. He wants his, our relationship with him not to be hindered and hampered. He wants to surround us. That's what the second half of verse 10 says. But unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. Surrounds. Again, picture that Adam and Eve behind the bush. They need to be clothed. They need to be surrounded. And God's saying, my unfailing love will surround you. It takes great trust to believe that. It takes great trust to come before God in our most vulnerable state, a God that oftentimes we can think of as vengeful and wrathful. It takes great trust to come before him and just say, you know what, Lord, I've sinned. I've sinned, I've broken relationship, I've said, I've done, I've thought, or I've not said, I've not done, I've not thought. And that wrong has led to sin. God, I'm going to call it what it is. I'm going to call it that, forgive me, because boom, you're going to forgive me. And your unfailing love, great Hebrew word, said, will surround me. I think some of us fear that, you know, God's going to, keep our sins like in the, you know, we're going we're to put them over here, but I'm going to hold them over your head later on. It's not what God does. King David has a way of telling us this. Psalm 103, verse 12, he's talking about what God does with our sins. He's removed our sins as far as, from us as the east is from the west. It takes great trust to believe that. Boy, but when we can, there is joy, there is freedom, there is release. I love how David sandwiches this, uh, this text on sin. It starts with joy and ends with the same thing. Verse 11. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who obey him. Shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure. Rejoice, be glad, shout for joy. Those whose hearts are pure, those whose hearts have been washed, those whose hearts have been covered, those whose hearts have been forgiven. Right now, watch this. Let's talk about sin. All right. Because you know this is the end result. As followers of Christ, he's going to remove them as far as the east is from the west. Let's talk about it. Now, I'm not going to do that today because, well, I am talking about sin today. I'm not going to have us talk to each other about sin because today is our, our, our confession Privately to the Lord. Won't sugarcoat it. Go sugarcoat it. Sin hurts. Okay? Not just us, it hurts others as well. And I don't think it brings a smile to God's face. So it hurts, literally, figuratively, metaphorically. It creates a rift between us and God. Sin moves our relationship apart from God. But when you confess, you get clothed, you get covered, you get protected. And it's immediately. We're not part of the Catholic faith tradition where they have regular confession. I, well, I think we would benefit from that. I really do. In fact, my challenge for us at the end of today is this week, actually at the end of the day, think through. 
And not in a God saying, I'm going to beat you over the head because you've sinned today, but in a, I'm going to confess this because then I get to experience what David just talked about. So here's my question. Do we have sin in our lives that needs to be confessed? Have we been silent too long? Has there been a groaning within us? Tim, I'm going to have you come on up. I'm going to have you play just a little bit in the background. We want to allow some, some space and a place for us to, you know, think back. Whether it's just this morning, whether it's yesterday, whether it's this last week. And let's be honest, even as followers of Jesus, we still sin. We still do. We're all in the process of sanctification. God's working on us. The Holy Spirit's working on us. We may sin less now than we did when we were following Jesus initially, but we still do. So we still need to take this time to confess. So I'm going to have Tim play quietly. And in the quiet of your own heart, share with God things that you recognize have been kind of pulling you away from him. Kind of unlinking your arms. Maybe it's just one thing. And then know that that forgiveness is going to come instantly. Let's go and spend this time in quiet. simply ask that you would hear our prayers that you would hear our confession set us free from the pain and suffering of sin that we've been trying to hide renew in us the joy of relationship unhindered with you thank you that your scriptures assure us of your forgiveness Lord hear our prayers and help us accept the forgiveness you are offering. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name.